during the COVID pandemic and time of conflicts where some have taken issue with elder and pastoral leadership, we've stayed focused on our calling of being ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our church family and our community. We, part of that focus has been preaching through the Bible uh, or on a topic uh, such as Ephesians, which we are in currently. But today we're taking a start of a, a three-Sunday break. Uh, we are taking this break because during this time of Derek's respite, uh, I was charged with the responsibility of filling uh, the slots for preaching, uh, getting affirmation from the elders as well. By faith, I believe that God has brought us several things together as an indication that there are some things that we want to uh, address and uh, look at scriptures. What do the Bible, what does the Bible tell us? Uh, so for three weeks, I'm titling, I would title it, and even though I say it's a, um, it may feel like a break from Ephesians, it's really putting flesh and blown, fresh, flesh and bones or blood on the book of Ephesians. It's taking something that's abstract and it's going to make it very concrete for us. I would call this a little mini three-week series we're going to do, Cutting to the Heart. Uh, the f speaker, uh, Troy Hatton, is going to be addressing us this morning on the 21st and then on the 7th. Um, when Pastor Derek told us at staff meeting he was granted this respite, uh, he asked me or the staff, were there any speakers in our congregation that we sense God may be tapping to come forth and speak to the church family? And uh, quickly I said Troy Hatton uh, because over... I don't know how many years, maybe 20, I, uh, I saw his faithfulness to uh, invest himself in teaching, but he would teach with a, a attitudinal posture that was a, a humble servant. And I thought, boy, of anyone that uh, we could uh, hear from, it would be Troy Hatton. Um, uh, next week, uh, Bruce Martin, our Evangelical Free Church District Superintendent, will be with us. And I believe God is going to be stitching these three together into one whole under that umbrella of cutting to the heart. Uh, but little did I know when Troy Hatton's name came to my mind when I heard about the respite, uh, it was not until I heard in a separate conversation later Troy's Hatton name uh, come to the surface again. I had no idea what God was putting on Troy's heart. But I called Troy, and sure enough, uh, God was laying something on his heart that I think is very relevant to where we are today. And so with that, we'll hear from Troy today and then again on the 7th. So welcome, Troy. Thank you. God bless you. You know, uh, I, I've come to a conclusion here in that I should ask to do this more often. Because never before have I had so many people come up and say, Troy, we're praying for you. And that's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. And I want you to know, uh, even as I get to have opportunity to come up and speak to you today, um, I get to come up with, as your brother in Christ. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm not an elder here. I'm not a leader here. I'm not a pastor here. I'm just in the trenches with you. That's, that's who I am. And, and I have to honestly say this, um, 
I've been called, I believe, by the stirring of God's Spirit to deliver a difficult message. And I believe that it's a message that probably wouldn't be well received by leaders. Okay? And I believe, too, um, that God's called me in a way to, to deliver it because he's been chewing on me. And he's been chewing on me because, as, as you've looked over these last year and a half, again, you might use the term unprecedented, right? At least I do. And I don't know about you yourself, but some good things have come about it for me. One of those things is, is that, uh, you know, I didn't know how important the body of God was to me. I didn't know how important you guys were to me as God's family in Christ. I didn't know how high I lifted the name of Christ up and realized I don't want to grieve his spirit as I felt has happened in the last year and a half at this church. Those things bother me, and I want them to bother you. But at the same time, uh, as I come up here, a lot, of you, a lot of you guys don't know me from anybody. A lot of you guys, matter of fact, uh, you're going, oh, that's that Troy guy. <laughs> he works at the hospital. He's a physical therapist. When that guy shows up, it means pain. I know about this guy, man. You know, and, 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 and let me share this. Uh, yeah, I work as a physical therapist. I've been, uh, I'm going on three decades. I'm, I'm kind of in denial about that. But uh, we have a process we go through in clinic. When I see somebody in clinic um, and I have to evaluate them, I have one goal. I want to reproduce their pain. Want to know why? Because if I reproduce their pain, that means I'm putting a finger on the problem. When I put my finger on their problem, okay, now I can have the strategies in dealing with the source of the issue. I do not like chasing symptoms. And I get those where i got to chase symptoms. Scripture says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes that makes it tough on people like me because the problem's in one place, but it shows up another. And unless you go through the process, then you're just chasing symptoms. And I don't like that. Um, so a lot of you are saying, too, well, why are you up there? Um, and again, I want to use that word, stirred by a spirit. Have some of you been stirred? Have you felt the stirring? Oh, he's been chewing me up. And I'm so thankful for so many of you guys. Um, recently, uh, as, as this church and many, many people in this church, many groups in this church have been fasting and praying. Thank you guys. Because you know what? I think this blanket, this curtain, this cloud is going to start to lift. But it's going to happen even as I see people and have to discern the origin of the problem. Then we've got to start working on the issues. We've got to get to the heart of it. And that's my responsibility today is, I think, to help with some of those processes. So, so let me tell you a little bit of the story, what brings me here then. So uh, what was it, five weeks ago now, I think, that Derek kind of announced that, you know what, I need some respite. And, and I was stirred. At that, at that time, going, man, Lord. But you got to be careful what you ask for. So I went up and talked afterwards to Mike Davis, Michael Davis, and said, uh, hey, Mike, you know, I really feel like I'm being called to talk to the congregation. Would you, would you consider that? And uh, so I left it at that. 
and, uh, and you know, went home. Monday comes, and the Monday that, that Monday after that Sunday of, of that time was when I needed to go get my second vaccination for COVID. And so I go get the shot, and I got hit pretty hard by it, okay? I mean, I had the fever, the chills, aches, pains, fatigue, you know, malaise stuff. So I missed the following day of work. And I thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some rest. So I lay down, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get some rest. And the Lord is not having it. He is not having it. Scripture is going through my mind. Things are going through my mind of what needs to be said. And the entire framework of what I'm going to say today happened on that day after my COVID shot. Now, some of you are going to say, Troy, it was just the shot. <laughs> well, I'm telling you people right now, if that's the case, we all need a little of that shot, is what I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to suggest to you. So let me, let me transition. Let me transition to what was, I consider to be, perspective of Derek's coming to faith here. It was long-awaited, much anticipated, prepped through an interim of 1.5 years, a unanimous search team vote. I was excited. I was excited for our church body. He comes to a church that's ready. He comes to a fairly uh, veteran eldership team that I respected very highly. You know what, I had goosebumps for a week after that, that, that uh, installation service. I thought, Lord, where are you going to take us? And then, the test. Controversy. Conflict. Differences. Hearsay. Different ways, different opinions, leadership disagreement, paraministry conflict, harsh words and suspicions, accusations. The test. And when it's test time, the teacher goes silent. It's test time. How have you handled it? Where have you turned? What is your part? Because I hope through Scripture today and be patient with me through that because there's going to be a lot of it. We all have a part. We all have a responsibility. What does God want us to do? Where is your faith? There's good news to this test. It's an open book. So speaking of faith, here's what God says about it. Hebrews 11.1. 1. If you can put that on the screen, that'd be great. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. How's your faith been? 
Hebrews 11.6. And without, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want you to tell me something. We hear from this pulpit so often. It's one of the promises that Derek made that we're going to hear from, matter of fact, on March 7th, so please show up, because you're going to hear it again then, of a promise he made to us when it came to the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Upon his installation service, he made it a, a promise to us. We hear it almost every time from this pulpit when he preaches. It is about God's grace alone, by faith alone, isn't it? We hear it, and we hear it, and we hear it. But I have a question for you this morning. Is your faith static? Did you make that commitment and that's as far as it goes? Or is your faith moving in you? Are you obedient to the calling that we have? In First Peter, or Second Peter 1, 5 through 11, it says this, and, and I, I need you to be patient with me here because uh, there's going to be a lot of Scripture. And the reason is, is this, because, and I, and I do appreciate, I appreciate so much, you guys, the fact we have, we've had our meetings, and people have had opportunity of expressing themselves, and we need a platform for that to happen. I've been reminded of that. People have been hurting. And, and, and I want to say this, I forgot, as part of my story, in that um, Ed actually interviewed me before uh, um, saying yes, giving me the formal okay. That, that I could come up and, and speak with you. And he, and he said this, Troy, he goes, I need you to be aware that, we, that me and myself, we as the leaders of this church, have primary concerns. We acknowledge the legitimate hurt and pain of our congregation, this body of Christ. And we don't want to say or do anything that gets in the way of this reconciliation process. People of faith, I can't ask for more leaders than that. That they're so concerned, that they are so concerned about our being nurtured along, that that's going to become foremost in their mind, that they don't want to cause or, or create more conflict and more hurt and damage. And, and I said this, I said, uh, well, Ed, I really appreciate that, but we may have a conflict. And he goes, well, what, what, what do you mean, Troy? I go, Ed, I go, you know, as I've been being stirred by the Spirit, I go, he is not giving me a, timidity, a spirit of timidity here. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, uh, when it comes to Scripture, you don't defend it. Scripture's like a lion. You just let it out of the cage. Today, I intend to let the lion out of the cage. I trust the Lord will deal with you in however way he needs to deal with you. And that it impacts you like that today. Second Peter says this, 1, 5 through 11, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive 
in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith is not meant to be static. Faith is meant to have fruits that generate from what we say we believe. So, I'm asking you today that you go shoulder to shoulder with me. I'm with you in the trenches. Would you go with me? We're going to wade through some hard stuff. I hope that he churns in you like he's churned in me. And I hope through the process that we take our responsibilities and grow in Christ-likeness. You with me? I hope so. So I'm going to transition. We are going to take the body, the main body of the Scripture today in the uh, second chapter of Acts, and it is at the time of Pentecost. The Pentecost, as you may know, was the 50th day after the Sabbath Passover. It's also called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. It is an incredible uh, uh, festival time for the Jewish people. And, um, you know, there's just ways that God has. There's mysterious ways that God, God has. And he, he told um, the, the uh, apostles, he says, I want you, after his ascension, he said, I want you to stay in the area of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from him on high. He's alluding to the fact that I'm going to load you up with the Spirit. And I don't want you to go far. This is going to be happening, and I want you to be there. And another thing that I never thought about was the fact that you may recall at Pentecost, you're getting, it, it, is, it is the attraction, the holy city Jerusalem to the people of the Jew, Jewish race, right? And so it, had, it has Jews from all over the known world at the time that came there during that time because of what they were celebrating. And so you may remember at that time is when they heard the sounds of a great storm and wind and, and uh, like flames of fire came and rested upon them and they were hearing in their own language. If you counted up and you went through chapter 1, you'd count up that there was 15 languages that were, according to what was recorded, 15 languages. Now think about that. You're in the hub of the Jewish uh, uh, belief system being Jerusalem, the holy city. You've got people from... 15 different races, at least, that are coming there, and they experience this miraculous thing. And then what do they do? They go throughout the world. You think that was by mistake? I don't think so. So will you join with me here for a minute? We're going to turn to that Acts chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 14. Bear with me. We're going clear through 44. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters and all, and will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he was at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to this grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the, prophet, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized in about... 3,000 were added to him to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. He again says in chapter 3, verse 19, when he calls them, out, it says 319, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come 
from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we need this refreshing. And I just see as, as, as Peter reaches out and, and, he, and he speaks the words of truth and he identifies Christ for who he is, but it demands a response. Lord, touch us in this way. Would you give us hearts that are open and susceptible to your word of truth? In Christ's name. I wanted to point out uh, these methodologies. And you'll see it again. It's repeated actually three times in Acts, twice in chapter 2 of Acts, another time again in uh, in, uh, Acts chapter 3. Peter uses these same six methodologies. So we're going to put those on the screen for you. My intention today, some of you may be relieved, is we're only going through the first three. And the reason we're only going for the first three is because you've got to be careful what you ask for from our elders. I ask for one Sunday, they give you two. Very generous people. So the six following methodologies of Peter um, that he used in, in reaching his audience. One, Peter goes to Scripture. Two, Peter reveals the gospel of Jesus. Three, Peter convicts them of their sin and part in Christ's death, which is where I hope to reach today. Four, Peter goes to history and brings up a a credible figure in King David. Five, Peter directs a response to the onlookers in regards to their sin. And number six, Peter warns and pleads with them with many words. Now, what I want to first then do is go to number one. Peter goes to Scripture. For these reasons, I know these are familiar to you, but I want these to cut deep. He goes to Scripture because of this. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isn't rebuking and correcting a little anti-American? Is it anti-our culture? Is it anti-your culture? You know, I'm so fortunate I sit uh, every Friday with a group of guys who are willing to reach into my life and sometimes give me some correction and reset my direction. Hold me accountable. It's part of where faith needs to take us. Scripture's pretty clear. God rebukes and he disciplines those he loves. Don't despise it. And don't despise our authorities. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him before whom we must give account. Now, I I, want to point something out. If you look to 1 Corinthians, it gives us direction about judging action. Around chapter 5, I think. We're called to. How else do you have church discipline or or discipline in your house unless you can judge actions, right? Right? But something we cannot do 
is judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We're called not to do. We can't do that. I can't judge motive. Can't do it. It says right here, though, that the sword of his spirit, which is his word, it can. Will you let it work through you? Will you let it deal with you? Will you let it stretch you? Will you let it correct you? Because we all need it. There are several scriptural points, though, as I, as I get to where I want to go. I need you to identify and deal with several um, scriptures that God needs to put into our hearts and into our minds so you'll accept the hard scripture that I'm going to deal with at the very end. First question, and sorry, Mike, this, is not, uh, this came late. It's not something that was submitted to you. Um, number one, what condition does God want our heart to be? What condition does God want our heart? This is from Isaiah 66 too. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Contrite defined. Sincere remorse. Filled with a sense of guilt and desire for atonement. Are, we, are you contrite? How's your heart? What does God expect of our behaviors? 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the spirit of divination, and arrogance... Pride is like the evil of idolatry. What gets in our way of being obedient? Having your way? We got to agree with you? Position, power, authority, influence? What stands as a barrier for you from being obedient to what God calls you? How does Jesus feel about his body? Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. The church, which he calls his bride. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the, through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus has a passion for this church. So should we. How does Jesus identify those who love him? This is from John 14, 21. He says this, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come into him and make our home in him. We're saturated in his word, and the passion of our hearts is that we do what he says. John, or 1 John 2, 3-6 says this, 
We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk with Jesus. How are we called to respond to his word? James 1, 23-25 Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Are you being doers? Are we being students of his word? How are we called to love one another? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. John 13, 34 and 35, the love verse. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How are we called to the ministry of reconciliation? It's from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's a popular verse. That's one so many of us know. Here's the hard part. All this is from God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Did you ever notice this when we share the Lord's Supper, and at times it says, if anybody has anything against you, stop, and you go reconcile with that person. Now, did you ever really think about that? The issue isn't you've sinned against that person, the issue is that person has some issue with you. You go deal with it. It doesn't cast any blame. It just says there's been a breach in the relationship. You go deal with it. We do not not show up at the reconciliation table. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. How are we called to unity in the church? This is from Pastor Jack Wellman. He put this so well I couldn't help but not, not go through it. Don did a, a phenomenal job when he took us through Colossians before, chapter 3. Um, I'm just going to put it in one paragraph, though. He says, When the church is unified by the Spirit of God and by their love for God and for one another, this acts as a powerful bonding agent that helps them endure the storms of life much better as a body and as individuals in order that together 
you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from Romans 15.6. It doesn't just happen. We must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, through Ephesians, indicating that it needs to be maintained, and like any kind of maintenance, it takes hard work and diligence, from 1 Peter. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble spirit. And this is from a publication called The Five Warning Signs of an Immature Christian. It says this, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church because the church was in serious decline. Their lack of spiritual growth and maturity had led to attitudes and behaviors that were not only displeasing to God, but giving a bad testimony to the unbelievers around them. Can I read that again? Not only displeasing to God, but giving a bad testimony to to the unbelievers around them. I work at a hospital. I'm behind closed doors with a lot of people. Faith is a very strong piece of what I do. So many times when I work and deal with people in a clinical environment, their pain is coming out in physical ways, but their pain is much deeper. I've got the answer. I serve a God who's got the answer. What I've been amazed at so oftentimes in in clinic today when I talk about that, and they say, oh, what church do you go to? Oh, you're that church that's having problems. How we represent Christ is so important to him. And if we have issues that are more important than the unity of the body of Christ, we've got an issue that we need to deal with. And we see the same scenario in the church today. There is remarkable lack of spiritual maturity in the church today that has not only led to blatant misapplication or complete dismissal of certain passages of Scripture, but has also led to tolerance of sin. We see divisions in the church, elevation of man, and an inability to digest the hard truths of God's Word because we've chosen not to discipline ourselves to become disciples of Christ. Five warning signs of an immature Christian. But being mindful of these scriptures and scriptural instructions, now we go to the hard truths of God's word, which I've been called to you to talk about today. Can we turn to 1 Peter? Chapter 2, 13 through 25. 1 Peter, chapter 2. 13 through 25. It says this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who are wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will... What I want to point out here is realize it just talks about authorities. It doesn't say your spiritual authority. And if he's calling you to even honor people who are non-Christians who have authority, how much more does he call us to honor those who are leaders in Christ? Consider that. 
For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. You see that in doing the right thing, it lives out our faith and gives the evidence to others of what and why we believe what we do, even when that obedience is hard. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now here's where I want you to listen up. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. It's commendable. God looks at that and says, he's honoring me through that action even though he's suffering for it. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? So what? You should. That's just. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this, look at this. You are called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. God says, I got you covered. I know. There'll come a day of atonement. I've got your back. You're taking this in the chin for me, for my glory. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. To this you were called. So what about, how, does, how do you stand up in these situations? Because this call of, of Christ's standard that I just read to you, it goes beyond our personal disagreements with leaders. It goes beyond our preferences and our alternatives. It goes beyond our emotional inclinations. It goes beyond our loyalty to others. It goes beyond our conveniences. It goes beyond you fill in the blank. This is what we're called to. Unless you see conduct of leaders that is sinful, contrary to biblical truth, guilty of unrepentant sin, or disobedient to Scripture, then we are held to account as followers of Christ to act in obedient submission. Tough teaching. Hebrews 13, last one. How are you going? Hebrews 13, 17. 
Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. Why do we do this? They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Can you imagine coming before the throne of Christ someday and saying, remember that time back when that church was divided and you leaders had decisions to make? Did you do it for my glory or your own? They will be held to account. What will we be held accountable to? Submitting. Being obedient. That's what we'll be held accountable to. Does that mean that we, we stay silent and don't speak up and, and present our cases and have opportunity to speak as a family? Absolutely not. We do those things, huh? But eventually when a decision has to be made, Scripture's clear. We bow ourselves, or bow our rights, take our rights, and we give them up for Christ. We obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden. For what advantage would that be to you? May I ask, have we made our leaders work a joy or a burden? The second approach that Peter used, the second methodology, is that Peter reveals the gospel. As Peter points to the Jews, he reveals the faithfulness of God and the mystery of God's plan. We too have sanctuary in his sacrifice and forgiveness in our repentance. Praise to him who saves us then, who saves us now, and saves us forevermore. The third approach of Peter. Peter convicts them of their sin. And I want to go back to my story a little bit. So, uh, um, do you have those moments in your life where God has stirred you? If you haven't before, I hope he is now. But I, I'm, I'm laying there and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get, I, I even said, I said, Lord, I'm trying to sleep here. And he's not having it. And these words start just coming to my mind and pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. And I went, okay, Lord, I get it. I, I get it. Okay. I'm, I'm done. And so I, I get up and I start writing. And I start writing. And I start writing. And what pours out of my pen is these lyrics that I entitled Cut to the Heart. So in conclusion today, Ben's going to come up and help me. Ben and Matt are going to help me with this. I thank you so much for listening. I thank you so much for considering and I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. At times our hearts remain far off, our loyalties confused. We think we've got the answer, but it takes us away from you. We make us more important 
and want our point of view, but that's not what you call us to, and we know that this is true. So cut me to the heart, Lord. Reveal your perfect way. Help me see my wayward moments, time, and heart, lest I continue to stray. Call me to repentance and heal this broken place because you're still our savior who calls us to obedience. You have called us to your word of truth, but we tend to push it away. Our opinions seem to matter more than what you have to say. Help us see into our hearts and bring us to our knees. Have your spirit take hold of us, then make Satan's hold, then cease. So cut me to the heart, Lord, reveal your perfect way. Help me see my wayward moments, time and heart, lest I continue to stray. Call me to repentance and heal this broken place because you're still our savior who calls us to obedience. Help us to be a light for you, your ways so firmly found. Let love be a strength we have to forgive our fellow man. We know in so doing, we're in the middle of your plan, the ministry to reconcile and to be whole again. So cut me to your heart, Lord, reveal your perfect way. Help me see my wayward moments, time and heart, lest I continue to stray. Call me to repentance and heal this broken place because you're still our savior who calls us to obedience. Bring us to your throne of worship, our prayers never to fail. Let forgiveness be a way of ours as we strive to serve you well. Lord, forgive us for failing, change our hearts to your own way. Let grace and mercy be strong in us as Christ has shown us how. So cut me to the heart, Lord, reveal your perfect way. Help me see my wayward moments, time and heart, lest I continue to stray. Call me to repentance and heal this broken place because you're still our savior who calls us to obedience. Help us recall commitments, statements from our lips and heart. Though leaders, they may fail us, we're called to lift them up. To have hearts that are humble, our ways in him be found. For in the end it matters, that's where we need to be found. So cut us to the heart, Lord, reveal your perfect way. Help us see our wayward moments, time and heart, lest we continue to stray. Call us to repentance and heal this broken place because you're still our savior who calls us to obedience.